Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee podcast. Check out new episodes every Thursday. Welcome to the Competition Committee, where we make sports more fun for the fans. I'm your host, Parker, and joining me as always is JJ, and today we have a good one. We'll be discussing the current NCAA and NFL pass interference rules. We'll dig into two of the MLB rule changes, and we'll finish it off with some outdoor Monday night hockey. But before we jump right in, I want to bring in our community pundit for today's episode, Campbell, who will be gracing us with his thought-provoking insights. We're glad to have you here, Campbell. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be talking to you guys about some sports. Um, looking forward to it, and we can have a good conversation about things. And excuse the sniffling, I just had some too hot of Thai food, so forgive me in advance. It's all right. We've all been there. Um, uh, so let's just jump right in. Pass interference. One of the most significant penalties a team can get. It's one of the best penalties for you. It can be the worst things against you. JJ, um, kind of talk to us about your pass interference brainchild. Okay. Well, of course, we, we all know there's two different pass interference rules. We have the NFL. Um, the NFL, it is the point of um, penalty, the location of the penalty. So if somebody throws a ball 60 yards and the pass interference happens 60 yards away, you can get 60 yards for that play. If it happens in the end zone, it comes back to the one-yard line. Um, and it can be game-changing. In college football, it's a 15-yard penalty and a first down. Both of those penalties have advantages and disadvantages. If you had that, if you had the college rule in the NFL, every time a defender got beat, they would just grab the, they'd they'd grab the receiver and prevent him from going on and to get a 15-yard penalty instead of that guy catching a touchdown. So we can't have that rule. Here's what the competition committee is going to propose as a new rule. We're going to have two levels of pass interference, almost the same way you have two levels of um, roughing the kicker. Of course, there's running into the kicker and there's roughing the kicker. Um, in this case, we're going to have two, um, two levels of pass interference. The first one I'm calling pass interference contact. And that um, happens when a defender um, interferes with the pass receiver's hands or his arms. So you could think of that as two guys getting tied up trying to get to the ball and the defender is pulling on the receiver's hands or pulling on his arms. Um, and that penalty would have a 15, that would be a 15 yard penalty. Then we'd have something called pass interference obstruction. <clears throat> and this is this occurs when the defender um, manipulates the receiver's body. He does something to slow him down, grabs his arm, turns his body, um, grabs a hold of his shirt, trips him, anything like that, that keeps his body from moving down the field. Um, I think the refs could call this, and we would end up with defenders who aren't afraid to go for the ball because they know they're only going to get a 15-yard penalty if it happens. And again, that same penalty could happen all the time for offensive pass interference as well. Um, but it would prevent the uh, defender from just grabbing somebody um, who's running down the field because in that case, they would get the old rule, the old um, um, balls placed where the penalty happens. 
What are you? So essentially, it's kind of like I'm a big hockey guy. So kind of comparing it to hockey, where it's a minor penalty versus a major penalty. A minor penalty being two minutes, and a major penalty being five minutes. It kind of separates the two, where the refs kind of have discretion on whether or not they want to make it, or discretion on if the contact was minor, where they're the defender was kind of going for, going for the ball. He made some contact with the person's body. It's a penalty, but we're not going to penalize him 15 yards for it. It would be more of like a five-yard penalty. Is that what you're kind of getting at? Well, again, I'm I'm suggesting that the 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 most minor penalty is 15 yards. So you still get a 15-yard penalty oh, okay. for gotcha. what what we might. And again, I'm not I'm not hung up on these names. We might call them minor and major. But I liked the word pass interference contact because we were talking about what's almost incidental contact where they're trying to go for the ball um, and then pass interference obstruction where he's preventing the guy from running down the field. Um, So one penalty would be 15 yards. The other penalty would be um, on the one yard line. The spot of the foul, I guess that's is the right term. I kind of like that idea too, because I feel like, you know, kind of like in basketball, we have, if someone's in a shooting motion and the hands hit or is the hand part of the ball, you know, there's always these gray zones in all these different sports. And I like the idea of having two separate penalties, but my only concern would be, because uh, this year I've already been watching more baseball than I have last year. And I like the new baseball because it's quicker. And I feel like I already struggle with if it's just like a Monday night football or a Thursday night football and there's just one game on. I'm so used to the red zone where it's constant, constant, constant. I get action all my time in my face, however I want it. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm watching yep. one game, it feels like it drags on and on, especially if it's like, you know, Indianapolis and like uh, Broncos. Like, you know, it's a boring game anyway. Like, no one wants to watch that. So that would be my only concern. Mm-hmm. The game is going to feel longer than it already is. But other than that, I really like the idea of having the two penalties to where there are, is well, something I'll, for. I'll make the argument that. We're not going to see more pass interference calls. It's just that they're going to they're going to be penalized differently. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think this makes the problem of the game being slow any different. Um, but I understand your frustration with yeah. boring football games only, going on and on forever. Yeah. yeah, and to Campbell's point as well, I didn't really think about this. It puts more of the decision making in the refs' hands as well. And let's say the final two minutes. And there's a ticky tacky. Yeah. Is it a obstruction? Is it a minor? Um, as a fan, I wouldn't want the game being more in the refs' hands um, than in the past. But I do understand it, it's more we're we're clarifying it more of okay, we're not. It's not going to be a spot foul. It's just 15 yards. We're cl- we're kind of clarifying it so it's not going to make or break a, a play. But also, we're putting a lot more decision making in the in the refs' hands, where they could mess up the call again. It could be a detriment to your team. Um, I, I kind of see it both ways. You're right. I mean, so there are going to be some of them that are called um, pass interference contact that should be pass interference obstruction. But if 80 percent of them are called right, then it has a smaller mm-hmm. impact on the game. And talking about something that could be reviewed, it could be easily reviewed. Um, because that was you my next look question. See, you want it to be reviewable. You could look and see, is he touching his hands or is he turning his body? And that would be the big key. If you're turning somebody's body or slowing them down, then you get the obstruction. Um, 
Yeah, and then going back to Campbell's point, if we are reviewing it, would that make the game longer? Is that something that we want? Yeah, because um, I'm thinking that's yeah. more challenge flags. I'm thinking that's more time in the booth talking to who is it, Dean Salvatore in New York, saying, "Oh yeah, when I was, mm-hmm. you know, watching this game, that's how I would have called it, and they got it wrong this time." So uh, you know, that's kind of the stuff I want to cut out of the game. I want the action. I want it to happen now. I want to see 15 yards. I want to see touchdowns. I want to see big hits. You know, stuff like that. I don't want to see Dean Salvatore. Less of him. I don't like that Football part. But then, <laughs> I kind of like that part. Okay, uh, so <laughs> let's give this thing a score. Um, Campbell, you don't know the rule. The rule is you're going to you're going to rank this from one to ten, but you can't use seven. Um, <laughs> then we're going to give it an average score. Ten um, being the best, right? Ten being ten I like being the best. Goal. One being okay. awful. You can't use seven because people use that for average all the time. Um, um, and of course, yeah. it's I made up the rule. I'm going to go first. I'm going to give it a ten. Um, <laughs> That's you're not going to hurt my feelings, no matter which way you go, Parker. Okay, I'll start. I'm going to give it an eight point eight. I like it in theory. 8. 8. There is no eight point eight. Oh, that's an expert score. Eight point eight. Nine. Okay. okay. Give it a nine. I think I'm going to have to go with, uh, since I can't use a seven, I think I'll have to go with a six. Just because, like I said, man, I'm I'm used to the 21st century. I'm used to that fast action. I'm used to the uh, red zone. I don't want longer games. I'm going to go with the six. That gives us an average of 8.3. Um, Parker, I think we agreed. Anything over uh, over seven, and we're going to send it to the uh, competition, the NFL competition committee. So we'll pull out Mr. the envelope, Trigadale. pull out the envelope, and we'll mail it off. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll do that. We'll uh, we'll take a brief break, and when we come back. We'll dig into some baseball. Stay tuned. Parker, where'd you get those sneakers? Oh, these I got them at Kmart. Kmart. It's like Walmart, but for poor people. And welcome back. Let's talk some baseball and more specifically rules that I think is going to make baseball great again. In the next five or ten years, we're going to look back and think that these are the rules that change baseball for the better, and it makes baseball more fun to watch. So there are four major rule changes. I'm not going to get into the first two. We'll talk about the last two. But it's the pitch clock, shift limits, bigger bases, and disengagements. So with the bigger bases, we got three inches on these bases, larger on each bag, and disengagements where there's two disengagements that each pitcher has, and on the third disengagement, they either have to get it out or it's going to be a balk. In a balk, the play ends and the runner gets to advance regardless of what happens. So in so essence, if he, get, can get, if he can get back to the base before he gets tagged out, it's just as good as stealing a base. Correct, which is going to make this whole dynamic between pitcher and batter even more fun to watch and even pitcher versus uh, the base runner. But let's get back to these bigger bases first. And I think – What's going to be not talked about enough is how this is going to affect 
the stolen base. And a lot of people think for the correct reason that obviously larger bases is going to equal more stolen bases, which is, which is true. We're already seeing that in the first few games of the season. So through 90 games of 2022, last year before the rule changes, we had 61 stolen bases on 89 attempts, which is 68.5 success rate. This year, with the bigger bags in 2023 through 90 games, there were 124 stolen bases on 154 attempts, which is an 80.5% success rate. Which is but probably huge. what's more interesting is that there are more made more bases, um, more base steal attempts, which is exciting to watch, even if they don't make it. Right, right, exactly. And what what is more fun, in my opinion, not only are we getting more stolen bases, is the creativity that the players have when it comes to these stolen bases. There's a lot more real estate and. In the past, with the smaller bags, they only had a small amount of room to work with, and they kind of had to maneuver themselves with a bunch of different obstacles when it comes to trying to get safe um, on the tag. They had to do these unique but awesome swim moves where they fake with the left, swim around with the right, and try to go around the bag. Um, so I think that it's just going to be awesome to try to see them get more creative with the more space and try to be safe. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to your statement, make baseball great again. Want to know if you're going to get some red hats um, <laughs> and try to make that a thing. But uh, I'm going to make the argument that, that nothing's wrong with baseball. I'm going to give you two pretty interesting statistics. The first is that more people attend uh, major league baseball games than the other three major sports combined. Uh, now, of course, there are more games, but it is impressive that they have a lot of attendance. But here's the statistic that really surprised me. If you go to a summer evening and you add up all the people watching baseball, because, you know, there's multiple baseball games on. But if you add up all those people, that is almost always the highest rated television show of the evening. So there are a lot of people mm -hmm. watching baseball. So. I don't think. Baseball needs saved. However, I agree with you that these these rules are going to make baseball more fun. Um, my other job is an engineer, and so I'm interested in numbers. So I th put some numbers together that I think are interesting. Um, <clears throat> the typical, of course, we all know the distance between bases is 90 feet. Typical leadoff is 10 to 12 feet, and runners can average, base stealers can average a little over 15 miles an hour. Anyway, it normally takes them about three and a half seconds for a good base stealer to get from his um, leadoff position to second base. But that three and a half seconds has got to be balanced against uh, how quickly um, the defense can get the ball to the second baseman. And here's some interesting numbers. Uh, the pitcher's motion usually takes about 0.8 seconds. The time for the uh, pitch to reach the catcher usually takes about 0.45 seconds. The time for the catcher to get off the throw takes about 0.9 seconds. His throw usually takes about 1.1 seconds. That adds up to 3.25 seconds. So again, we have 3.5 seconds it takes the runner to run from first to second, and 3.25 seconds it takes the defense to get the ball to the second baseman. 
So you can see that if the pitch is, if the throw is perfect, um, they're going to get the runner out. Of course, if the throw is high, mm-hmm. um, they don't get him out. Um, but it's kind of interesting is does, does making this space a little bit shorter make any difference? And I kind of looked at the numbers. Um, with the 15-inch bases, the bases before this year, the runner had to run 913.5 inches to get to second base. Of course, that's with his lead off. Um, mm-hmm. Now he only has to run 909 inches, so four and a half inches less. If you kind of look at the, uh, if you ratio that out, um, he's picking up about two hundredths of a second. So, you know, we did have this gap of 0.25 seconds that was to the advantage to the um, defense. Now we have an advantage of only 0.23 seconds, but that's only two hundredths of a second. That's almost nothing. So these bases being closer together is not the reason that stealing is is more prevalent or is going to become more more popular. I think you really you really had something when you said that the larger bases give them something larger, a larger target to avoid being tagged out when they come in. Right. And I, what it kind of boils down to is more bang, bang plays. Um, a lot of time, it was already bang, bang to begin with, but I think almost every stolen base now is going to come down to, if it's a perfect throw, the runner still has to get creative and somehow avoid it. Tag and with more real estate, they can they now have options to go left, right, do some sort of swim move, do something. They now have options to kind of get around that tag, and that's exciting for me. I used to play baseball, and you know, trying to come up with different different strategies. Is the person tagging the runner? Is he left-handed? Is he right-handed? You know, which hand is he going to tag you with? It all there's there's going to be options now, and I think that's more fun to watch. Yeah, I think that you know, the other two things that come into play, that disengagement rule has to make has to be a big play, a big part of why stealing is going to become um, more prevalent. Um, if nothing else, I'll be really curious to see how many how many base runners can get back to first base on that third disengagement and essentially steal a base through a balk. That'll be exciting to see happen, too. It's just going to put new pressures on the pitchers as well. So I right. am I am looking forward to this. And then and then we didn't talk about this rule, but you know, eliminating the shift itself is going to put more people on base. And when you put more people on base, there's going to be uh, more steals. So this is uh this is very positive for baseball. I'm excited about it. All right. We will take a short break and when we come back, we will talk about outdoor hockey on Mondays. Parker, what you drinking there? It looks pretty good. Oh, this this is Joe Cola. All the sugar and twice the caffeine. We're back. Talk to me about this idea of outdoor hockey on Monday nights. I'm a big hockey fan. Anytime there's an outdoor hockey game, it doesn't matter who's playing, I'm watching. So this idea has piqued my interest. Tell me a little bit more about it. 
Okay. Well, let me talk first about what the problem is. Um, Monday Night Football on ESPN averaged 14 million viewers last year. Um, NHL on ESPN averages 400,000. So that is a factor of 35. Now, there's no way that the NHL is going to be as popular as the NFL, but I think ESPN has an opportunity here, and the National Hockey League has an opportunity. And what I'm suggesting is that when Monday night football ends, because the playoffs are starting, the very next Monday night, we see an NHL game. And that NHL game, to make it exciting, is an outdoor game. Now, I think think of this as a made-for-television event. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be in a big stadium. It's just got to be someplace cool, someplace that gets people excited. And envision a scenario where the last week of Monday Night Football, you have the two commentators who are going to do the Monday Night um, Hockey in the booth talking about their program. You see all kinds of cross-promotion. And it, you don't have to pick up much. If you could pick up... If you could pick up, you know, 5% of that Monday night football crew, people who are used to watching sports on Monday night would tune in to watch um, NHL hockey outdoors. I went and looked at the Winter Classic numbers, and as you can imagine, it was initially a novelty. And the very first Winter Classic got 4.4 million viewers. So that was big. The one last year only got 1.4 million. So it's fallen off. So... Obviously, you're losing some of the notoriety of something unusual, but I still think it could really, really be cool. And they could get that NHL number from 400,000. If they could get it up to 2 million or something, there'd just be a lot of talk about hockey. Um, the other thing that has to happen, of course, is that Monday night needs to be that needs to be the only game on Monday night. So there aren't anybody pulled away to other teams. It turns out that there are 50. There are 15 weeks from the last Monday night football game to the first NHL playoff. I suggest that the NHL move, shift their season enough so that there's 16 weeks. And that 16 weeks and there's 32 teams, that means every team would play one time on, I guess, what we're going to call Monday night hockey. Um and they need to be playing outside. It needs to be someplace cold. It doesn't matter if it's a frozen lake in Canada that only 500 people can get to. I just think it would be exciting. My two concerns are, and you're wanting the same broadcast to broadcast Monday Night Football and go straight into hockey. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying it's the same commentators, but I'm saying... They promote it just like Monday Night Football. It's now Monday Night Hockey. Okay. Um, okay. And there's cross-promotion. I mean, three or four weeks before the NFL season ends, they start promoting this Monday Night um, Hockey. Because they got, I believe they've got an audience that's used to watching football on Monday night that would like to watch something on Monday night. And if they could make hockey exciting, they'd do it. And then I am curious. My other concern... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just going to jump in real fast because I don't have as much to say about this because <clears throat> I'm not a hockey guy, but I do like what JJ is saying. I do miss sports on a Monday night, especially like a must-see sporting event. I think that just fills a special place in your heart. And it's just something good, familiar. And even if you're not a hockey fan like me, the idea of it being outside 
brings that interest like, oh, it's an outside hockey game. I got to tune into this. But I'm curious to see mm-hmm. what you think because it almost feels like, like JJ was saying, if it's going to be kind of rolling off the NFL using that as a starting point, it almost feels like it's no longer the NHL. It just feels like an extension of football. And I feel like real big hockey guys are not going to like that. I feel like that would almost be infringing on the the purity and the sacredness of, of hockey. I don't know. And maybe I'm not understanding this right. This is – so they're going to play Monday night football, and as soon as that's done, they're going to go into the hockey game. Well, the next week. The next week is going to be hockey. Oh, okay. I'm I'm thinking how late is this going to go? If their <laughs> football game ends at 10, 10.30 – and they're going to play hockey right after it. And we're trying to get viewers. I think not yeah. only the West Coast people are going to be watching this. Okay, that makes sense. Sorry about that. Okay. Yes, I'm all about that. I am all about that. I mean, because what we've got to do is we've got to take that 400,000 number and we got to turn it into 2 million. It's not going to get to 14 million. It's not going to be Monday Night Football. But again, having one game. You need people mm-hmm. that want to talk about something to their friends that ends up on Sports Center that people on sports radio are talking about. And I think this would generate that. And it just seems it seems almost free for ESPN to do. Just no reason not to do it. The only thing they would have to battle with on Monday nights during this time of the year would be The Bachelor, which would be perfect. Oh. We got the women <laughs> watching The Bachelor on Monday night. And then we got the men going into a different room, their man cave, and they're putting on some outdoor hockey. I'm all about this idea, JJ, now that I understand. And it almost feels like, too, that you're looking for something like they had, like in those first couple winter classics. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Parker, but, you know, like uh, those first couple winter classics, you always had the the Crosby and the Overkin rivalry, right? That was something that Mm -hmm. people tuned in Mm -hmm. to see. It was almost like the magic and the bird thing back in the day. Like that kind Mm -hmm. of, they took the NBA from being kind of a, middle of the pack sport to making it must-see TV. And that feels like that's what you're saying, JJ, is you want to see some of these personalities coming out of hockey a little bit more because I feel like you don't see that a lot in hockey. And having mm-hmm. this must-see TV might get that. And you know, ESPN, ESPN is trying to do this, with, except it's on Wednesdays. I think they call it Wednesday night rivalry night. I think it's either ESPN or TNT. But instead of having one standalone game where everybody watches, it's a slew – of an afternoon, an evening, and a night game where only you're going to be paying attention to if that's your team playing. But if it's a standalone, outdoor, special circumstance, heck, if the Boston Bruins are playing the Maple Leafs on a lake up there in Banff, Canada, I'll definitely be tuning in regardless if it's the Lightning or not. If it's a standalone, isolated game on a Monday night, I am definitely tuning in regardless, especially if the Bachelors on. You know, the other sports, major sports, have got to try to do what the NFL does. People will watch any NFL game. Um, it doesn't matter if they have a rooting interest or not. But when you get to the other major sports, people tend to only watch their teams. So this would this would be part of this whole effort to make people watch one game that they all talk about, that they're all interested in. I do have a question for you, Parker, and I don't know enough about hockey to know if this is possible. Could they play in the rain? What would what would hockey in the rain be like? Well, there's already a bunch of slipping and falling on just regular ice, and that's with regular sweeping with commercial breaks. It would not go well. No. 
So that's a problem. So you really have to go so far north that it's yes. going to be cold wherever it is. So that playing in snow, I'm telling you, man, you know how good snow football is? Snow night hockey would be so cool with mountains in the oh, background yeah. or something. I mean, bad. Yes, cool. One of the original, one of the original winter classics, it was just dumping snow and it was over their helmets. They had the beanies over their helmets. The snow was piling up in the crease of the goals. It was like an actual like pond hockey game. Like you would play in your backyard or something. So yeah, that'd be, that'd be really cool. Especially that time of year. So let's let's go ahead and give some ratings. We'll start with you, Campbell, on a scale of zero to ten. What do you think? Not zero to ten, one to ten. Don't you can't give it a zero. Can't do a zero, well, Parker. Everyone knows that. I think for this, I think I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a nine because I would like a reason to get into hockey and I would like some more sports on a Monday night, especially kind of in that mid season lull, if I understand correctly. So I'm going a nine here. JJ, you Man, giving it a ten? I hate to be a homer, but I'm giving it a ten. I'm gonna have to give it a ten too. This would be something perfect, a perfect excuse to the wifey, honey. I'm sorry, we got the the big game on Monday night. You know the drill. You got your programming. I got my programming. Let's call it a night. I'm giving it. Okay, a that's that's nine point six. I guess this one gets sent to somebody. Yes, indeed. I'm gonna lick the letter. It's getting sent off to Gary Bettman. You'll get it first thing in the morning. Gary Bear. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll dig into the email bag. Parker, where did you get that portable computer? I got it at Compact Computer Mart. Compact Computers, for the next generation of big business. Welcome back to the show. I dug into the email bag and pulled this one out. Michael from Detroit writes, TCC boys, I'm really enjoying the sports thought exercises on the show. It would be nice for y'all to improve your audio quality. Anyway, (laughs) good job. I'm not sure where I heard about this one, but it sure sounds fun. It happens when there are two outs and the hitter pops up into the outfield. If the runner can run the bases before all of the fielders can run to the dugout, he gets a home run. So much more fun to watch. What does the competition committee think? Michael from Detroit. I'm thinking Michael has a pretty good idea, but I'm not sure running into the dugout at full speed is uh, going to do anything good for injuries in the sport. There, there's some steps in the dugouts, aren't there? Well, I'm going to admit that this idea intrigues me. Uh, it intrigues me a lot. So I, I kind of ran some numbers. I had to pick a stadium because all stadiums are different. So I just picked Yankee Stadium. So I'm going to try to take what Michael's suggesting exactly as he said it. So the way he said it is that all of the players have to get to the um, dugout before the base runner can get all the way around the bases. So I uh, looked up some numbers on the Internet, and this is what I learned. Um, a, A good base runner can run the bases in about 17 seconds. 
So that's the time that we're looking against is can the outfielder catch it and run to the dugout in under 17 <laughs> seconds to get him out. If he doesn't, the guy gets a home run. And I guess anybody that's on base also scores. I mean, this this would make so much fun to watch on Sports Center every time this happens. Um, so here's what I learned. The average um, outfielder can run 27 um, feet per second. So if he catches the ball at the wall, he has to run, according to my uh, my scaling, he has to run 397 feet, and that'll take him about 15 seconds. It, the average pop fly takes about um, is in the air about five seconds. So it takes him five seconds to catch it, 15 seconds to run to the dugout. So the run the the hitter makes it and 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 scores a home run. Obviously, we don't want the hitter to very often. Um, get a home run off this. You want it to be the rare exception. So what I think, I think we should adjust your rule just a little bit, Michael. And here's what I propose. What I propose is um, for, for this play to be eligible for the home run run, I don't know what you call it, but for the home run run, the, the man, the, the outfielder catching it has to catch it inside the field of play. So outside of the warning track, he has to have both feet on the green. And he doesn't have to run all the way to the dugout, which which uh, Campbell pointed out might result in injury. He only has to run to the foul line that's on his side of the um, his team's side of the dugout. So let's imagine that you're in Yankee Stadium and it's the home team in the field defending. It's the Yankees. Um, their home dugout is on first base side. So the distance from the edge of the warning track to the foul line, I measured to be, well, I should put my glasses on, 332 feet. So if you Sorry. run those numbers, 333 feet divided by 27 plus five equals 17 seconds. So that's exactly what we want. We want 17 seconds for the runner to be able to run the bases and 17 seconds for the fielder to make that catch so that we can get competitive play on those rare instances where that pop fly stays out of the warning track, has to be caught, and the uh, all the fielders have to make it across that line. I think this would be so much fun. I do. I, I do love the idea. Fun, of, but funny. Yeah, but I do love the idea of a super competitive foot race to decide the fate of the game. You got 17 seconds. The game's <laughs> on the line. What are you going to do about it? If I can tell you one thing right now. I can tell you right now. If it's Ronald Acuna out there, it's a home run every time. That man will not run. So I'll, I think you have a hard time. Those Braves out there doing that. I'm trying to imagine this in my head. Okay, so we got a pop fly, and let's just say your team is on the dugout on the right side, looking at the first field. base side. Yeah, first base side, and he pops out on the, in the left field. That guy has to run full speed to the other side of the field to the foul line before that runner can run home 
unless and if he doesn't, it's a home run. And my and my understanding is correctly. That is correct. So again, if if he has to run, if he's running the wrong direction to make that catch and has to turn, the guy probably makes it home. If he's a fat guy, the guy probably <laughs> makes it home. If the runner's a fat guy, they get him out. Uh, it just it means that you're going to have to put your your opposite fielder from your dugout is going to have to be very fast. Well, Michael, I'm very glad that you sent us this rule. We might have to frame it as our first email that was sent to us. Do we want to vote on this? We want to. I think I think we should vote on this. Well, let's well, let's, let's state the obvious. Baseball is very traditional. They're yeah. never going to accept this. But, oh, it ever. would be so much fun. Maybe the, what is it, the Savannah Bananas? They might do that. See, I, that's what I was thinking. This would be right up their alley. I tell you what, yeah. do this in minor league baseball yeah. just to make people show up to watch the games um, and make it the local. It'll make it on the local news every night, every time it happens. Um, it would be, it'd be flat exciting. Well, start us off, JJ. What do you think? Well, man, am I a homer. So far, I've given myself two tens. I'm going to give this a 10 as well. So I'm giving this 10 as a brilliant idea. Unfortunately, baseball would never accept it. Campbell? I'm going to go with the purest um, <clears throat> the purest uh, viewpoint here. I'm going to just devil's advocate to JJ. I'm going with two. I'm going with the two. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to imagine this in my head. Um, give me a four. Just because I'd love to see it happen. But I'd love to see it once, but I don't want to see it. You know, I don't yeah. want to see it every time. Okay, yeah. that's 5.3. Unfortunately, that's we're not going to be sending that Sorry, off to Michael. the... Uh, that's going to wrap today's episode. I want to thank Campbell for joining us today. I also want to thank our sponsors, Kmart, Jolt Cola, and Compact Computers. Help us make the competition committee a community. Send us your ideas for rule changes via the email machine at thecompetitioncommittee at AOL.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at underscore TCC podcast or find us on Facebook at the Competition Committee Podcast. Please tell your friends about us. If you listen to us on Apple, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Maybe we don't deserve five stars, but it helps listeners find us anyway. Thanks for listening this week and look for our new podcast each and every Thursday. Until then, Parker out.